Hey, welcome to Conversations on the Commission, a podcast where we talk about the trends, the issues, and topics that impact missionaries and the churches that partner with them. My name is Tony Balava. With me today is Stephen Madoff. Well, hello again, Tony. It's good to be back with you. And today, it is a very special podcast. Right. Mm-hmm. In fact, this is historical <laughs> because we have our first guest. I We are joined in the studio by Brian Baggett. And it only costs us 20 bucks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Brian is uh, one of our co-workers here at BIMI, and he is the military director uh, of over the uh, missionaries that work with the military. So I'm excited to have him in here as we right. talk with mm-hmm. him and kind of let people know about this very unique um, but very important ministry that is happening all right. around the world. Yeah. So let's bring Brian in. Hey, Brian, it, uh, good it's good to have you. And why don't you just tell us a bit about yourself? How You know, just kind of set the groundwork. They hear us all the time. Let's hear from you for a bit. Well, sure. I'm from Clarksville, Tennessee, and my wife and I have been in the ministry for 28 years, both as missionaries in South America. I served as a missionary pilot and church planter. Then uh, when we had to leave Venezuela years ago, we came back into the United States into pastoral ministry and worked very heavily with the military at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And then two years ago, we were asked by BIMI to come and to head up the military ministries here. I think that makes him our newest director here at BIMI. I'm the rookie, I guess. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, it's uh, you play a, a very important role, just as all our directors do in in working with very you know different regions of the world. But yours isn't a region of the world. You're all over the world. Right. That's exactly right. So why don't you just explain to folks a little bit about just kind of what is military missions? Well, a lot of folks, especially Americans, do not understand that we have military bases located all around the world right now. Uh, Over 800 military bases currently overseas. Well, not all overseas. Some of them are here in the States, but 800 military bases. And oftentimes folks do not think about the fact, where do our military personnel attend church when their family is stationed overseas? And that is the role that BIMI is trying to meet that need and that challenge by planting churches outside of those military bases, wherever it's possible overseas so that we can minister to the entire family. Well, yeah, you know, um, first of all, I've got a son who's a Marine, so I, right. I certainly appreciate the uh, the ministry of military missions and probably more so honestly, uh, now that I have a, a son who is in the military, even more than I did before. Uh, but tell us a little bit, if you could, about the, the challenges of maybe, I know you said that you plant those churches outside the base. Is that because you can't plant a church on the base? And are there some challenges even of getting on a base and spreading the gospel? Well, in order to minister on a base, you have to have a good relationship with the commander or the leadership on that particular base. Mm -hmm. Not all bases are open. Uh, Some you can establish a relationship and be able to minister in a very specific way. For instance, at Fort Campbell, a dear friend of mine has a ministry that goes to the jump zone when the paratroopers are coming in and practicing, and they will feed them there at the jump zone, which gives them an opportunity to minister and hand out Bibles and invitations Mm -hmm. to church. But to be able 
able to go and to do ministry on the base usually has to be done through the chaplain corps. Whereas when you're off base, the only um, inhibiting factor is this year we found that the pandemic and the base lockdown really hinders ministry because mm-hmm. they're not allowed to leave the base. But when they come off the base, you're able to minister much like you would here in the United States. So could could a military missionary go door-to-door uh, soul winning on base, or do, can they only do that off-base housing? They can only do that off-base housing. Okay. Yeah. And, this, and you said that this is different than a chaplain, you know, because I, I, yeah, I I'm, was never in the military, and right. so I just pick up what I hear, read, see on TV and things. So I'm familiar with chaplains in the military. Right. So this is different because a chaplain would— be there on base and is an officer or so if if, or a position in the military and your folks are not that that's correct Uh, you know there is a need for chaplains in the military I'm glad that the government has seen that need and tried to meet it because chaplains are allowed to go downrange to the battlefield places that we would not be able to go as missionaries and have access to the military the problem is uh, you have every every background, every denomination uh, represented in the chaplain corps. And, you know, what they do is it's not the same as the local church. And what we try to do in our missions across the board is, is plant a local church to minister to the family. And they're not able to do that. And this is a need that we're able to step in and provide that for these military personnel. Mm. Hey, you know, I just had a an opportunity to work with one of your brand new uh, missionary candidates, actually, mm-hmm. on right. a video project. Something interesting, I think, from a military missionary standpoint, as opposed to a lot of our other missionaries, when, when they come to us, a missionary comes and says, I know I'm going to be a missionary in Southeast Asia. They have that country settled and nailed down or the far north. They know where they're going in the far north. My my daughters were asking me about that particular uh, missionary couple, and they said, where will they go? And I said, you know, it's so very different for them uh, because they minister to a, if I can say it this way, a people group, the military, right. and they go where the need is. Can you explain to us how that works and, and how they end up in location A or B, as opposed to coming here and saying, I'm going to be a missionary in uh, Papua New Guinea or in Greenland? Well, it's a great question because oftentimes you will prepare to go to a particular military base and then due to a decision coming from the Pentagon, uh, there'll be a base closure or a drawdown of that base and planting a church there is not a viable option anymore. So military missions has to be somewhat fluid is the way I like to say it. And we have to be able to, like for instance, right now there's a big drawdown in Germany of our, mm-hmm. of our U.S. troops, but they're moving a good number of those troops to Poland where we do not have a presence in our military ministry. And so one of the things I hope to do is to travel to Poland or have one of our guys travel to Poland and see what is this a real need? Is this a real opportunity for us to send a missionary to start a church near those new bases? So what happens if that in that situation, what happens to the the actual buildings where they're meeting? Do do these do military missionaries typically just rent a building because it's so transit, you know, transitions that may happen, or do they own the property? And next thing you know, they could find themselves with a building and property, but no base there. So how, how, what happens in that situation? Well, years ago, there was a large drawdown in Germany, and I believe it was 20 bases that were closed just in Germany. Uh, Dr. Tom Lancaster, who was a military pastor at that time, had over 123 people 
in a matter of just a month transfer out of his church, and he had to close the church. Now, in some cases, there's a number of nationals that will be attending the church if it's been there for a while, and that ministry can transition to a national-style ministry. But uh, oftentimes, they just have to close up shop and move to the new country and look for a new building and start a new, brand new church from, mm. from scratch. Wow. So as you speak about... Um troop movement and mass troop movement. Um, you know, I know, for example, my son, he is never in one place for a very long time. And as you mentioned, the, the mass troop, troop movement, it made me think about how does the individual troop movement impact the ministry of that, of that military church? I imagine it, it has a tremendous impact. It really does. You know, there's two aspects. One is them coming into the church and you really need to get them assimilated into the church very rapidly. You have to assess where they are in their spiritual journey uh, at an accelerated rate. You don't have the opportunity to get to know them several months or even years before you use them in ministry. But once they are being used in ministry, as soon as they transfer, there's a large void in your ministry at that point, and you need someone to fill that gap. So it, it's a difficult ministry in that regard. I would imagine, like you're just saying, people moving. Mm-hmm. So eventually some folks are going to get plugged in and hopefully serve sure. within a church. So they're going to become ushers, greeters, Sunday school teachers even. So there would have to be a constant search for new Sunday school teachers all the time. Like, w- wouldn't that be the case then? Yes. As a matter of fact, several years ago, I was visiting a church in Korea, and I asked the young man that was leading the music, I said, how long have you been leading the music? And he said, since the first day I came. I said, well, explain that. He said, well, I came to church, and the pastor asked me, do you sing? And he said, I said, yes. And he said, next thing I knew, he said, then you're leading the music today. And (laughs) that's kind of an extreme circumstance, but if, if the missionary pastor cannot sing, he really does need someone to do that part of the service. And and there's constantly searching. And so you're right. So that would be a, pastoring a church like that, the, the missionary pastors that are out there. I mean, that has its own challenges that many even stateside pastors, normal pastoring of a church, would not really go through. I mean, I know every pastor is looking mm-hmm. for Sunday school teachers, mm-hmm. every pa- but this is like on the extreme level of it. Mm-hmm. It is. I mean, you think about it in the States, having pastored here for many years, oftentimes you think, well, I want a deacon that's been saved this amount of time, that's been serving in our church and been a faithful member for a number of years before they're considered for a deacon, where if you took that same framework and you tried to apply it to an overseas military church, no one in your church could ever be a deacon because they're not there long enough to, to meet that criteria. Wow. So, yeah. Well, that's that's a challenge for sure. So as we're speaking about the, the, the troops and the movement and all of that kind of stuff, what kind of network do military missionaries have between themselves? So, so say they've got a guy who's been leading the song since day one like you have. All of a sudden he gets his transfer papers. Is there something in place that they say, hey, listen, we know where you're going. Hopefully we've got another church there. And are they communicating that and, and uh, helping the, the troops with that? They do. They they talk among one another through Facebook and social media, things of that nature. I also get calls every single week uh, from folks. Normally, the ones I talk to are stateside. They're looking for a church for their grandson or somebody like that. Mm-hmm. And there are some websites that they can go to that are frequently updated uh, mm-hmm. just to let military personnel know of a good church in the area. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this, Brian. Obviously, the majority of people in the military 
are going to be younger. You know, you just think right. of the 18 to 25-year-olds yes. mm-hmm. going out there. Well, how are they – are they open to even going to church? I mean, we just think of 18 to 25-year-olds now here in the United States, and most are cool to spiritual things. So you take them, you put them into the military, which is like rough and tough, kind of what you imagine. They're in a foreign maybe place because they're overseas – that spirit of adventure, all that. So how does connecting them or ministering to them, I mean, I would seem like it's a you got some more obstacles that are there for the missionary to overcome and trying to reach them. What's that like, re- ministering to these young people? Well, it's interesting. You know, when a family transfers in, generally they're looking. If they're of a church background, they will be looking for a church. And they can find you if you have any web presence whatsoever, be it social media or a website, they will find you. Uh, Let's say a young single man or a young single woman that comes into the area. Oftentimes they do things in groups. There's a lot of peer pressure. There's a lot of camaraderie. Um, So what you do is you, like in Okinawa, Brother uh, Stu Jellison there on the North Shore, outside of Camp Hansen on Friday nights. He's there at the at where the young men walk off the base at Camp Hansen. He's standing there with invitations to his church. His church mm-hmm. is literally right in front of the gate. And he meets those young men that are coming out. And, you know, honestly, they're going out to eat. They're going to party. They're going to enjoy some free time. And he meets them as soon as they come off the base, gives them an invitation to church, and then points right at his church right beside him. And he's had very successful ministry. So sometimes it's just a matter of being where they're going to visit and uh, just meeting them. Sometimes they will want nothing to do with church. Other times you'll find an entire group, five or six, that'll come to your church just to see what it's all about. So, What about, obviously, the purpose of why we do what we do is Mm -hmm. to introduce people to Jesus Christ. Right. So you have this group of people, this of the military who would have to be confronted with mortality. Correct. More so than the average person is here, that we're living our lives and we're aware of it, but it's not confronting us every day, whereas military it would be. So how does how does that work in ministering to them? Because that's something I would imagine you could tap into somewhat. Absolutely. I'll give you an example. Several years ago, I picked up a young man that was walking up the side of the road and And uh, the Lord just told me to pick him up. I didn't know him, didn't know where he was from, where he was going. Uh, He gets in the van with me, and I said, hey, where are you headed? And he told me. And I said, are you in the military? And he said, yes. I could tell by his haircut, and I noticed that he threw a rucksack in the car. And he said, yes. And I said, well, where are you headed? He said, to see my kids. I've got three days leave before I deploy to Iraq. And I said, well, what's your MOS, which is what is your job in the the military? And he said, well, I'm EOD, which is Explosive Ordnance Disposal. And I just kind of slowed down in my mind. I was in a hurry to go somewhere. And I said, okay, Lord, you orchestrated this event. And I just very bluntly asked him, I said, I said, that's a dangerous job. He said, it is. I said, have you ever thought about eternity? And he dropped his head right there in my car. And I said, would you like to know for sure you're going to heaven? And he said, I would love to know. And I was able to lead him to Christ in just a matter of minutes. Um, But the reason why is God had prepared his heart because he was facing that going to the battlefield, working Mm. with explosives. He knew that eternity was a possibility for him, and he had already accepted that because of his job. But uh, to know that he had the hope of heaven was something Mm. very easy for him to engage with and and to embrace. So. 
You're right. Mm. Mm. That's amazing. That's that's really that's awesome story, and and I imagine it's something that uh, you could probably tell over and over again inside of military right. missions and. Uh, uh, as those young people are are confronted with eternity in that way, I want to switch gears just a little bit, and um, I think about uh, the military missionary and how much they have to think outside the box and and really come at ministry in a way that a, a lot of us maybe haven't ever thought about before. Another thing that a military missionary I'm I'm, I'm thinking uh, faces is the matter of support. You know. Um, a lot of our missionaries uh, will either have support for a very long time or they'll end up pastoring the church and then drop that support, uh, especially here in the United States. I know with Bob Larson, our USA director, they kind of have a four-year plan that they work through to start right. a church, get it autonomous, and, and then kind of drop that support, and, and the church supports them. It sounds like a military missionary would never have a case where they are— maybe even drawing any type of salary from that church that they're pastoring and would probably have to be supported by their their churches for a lifetime of ministry. That is correct. And it really has to do with the fluctuation. And it has to do with the cost of being on the field. One of the most expensive places to be in the world is near a military base because mm-hmm. the price structure is is really it's it's structured toward American military. The government is paying for housing, things mm-hmm. of that nature, so it drives all the prices up. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's 25 to 30 percent higher than anywhere else in that host country. Wow. And then you throw in the fact that they have to rent a building. Uh, our ministry at Yakota Air Force Base, Yakota Baptist Church, they're paying $5,000 a month for this small building. It's two-story, but there's not adequate parking, so they have to rent a parking lot across from the church, which is an additional $1,500 a month. So they have a $6,500 rent bill every single month. And so the offerings generally will cover that, but there's not enough to pay the salary of a pastor and pay his expenses to live in that very expensive environment. And then, and then you know, our missionaries raise both a, a personal salary and a work fund. We've covered that in previous podcasts. Right. I'm guessing that a military missionary has to have a pretty good work fund built up for what happens with the church that you just mentioned, $6,500 a month rent, not a mortgage, but a rent. That's a right. huge amount of money. What happens when, okay, uh, a majority of your church gets their transfer papers and the offering isn't there? Well, who's responsible? The missionary is responsible. So they must have to really uh, maintain it. I guess what I'm trying to say is how important it is that their supporting churches be faithful. Absolutely. Uh, For them to stay, see, the, the military missionary is the one stable force in that church because everyone else is coming in and leaving the missionary stays. It doesn't matter if he's the only one and there's two people with him. All of the bills still have to be paid. All the ministry has to continue on, all the responsibilities of ministry. So the financial, if we can remove that financial uh, fear, if you Mm. will, for lack of a better word, and they know their stability in that area of their life, they can fully focus on just maintaining that ministry and keeping that ministry moving forward. Well, I know here in the States, obviously there's a great, you know, kind of spirit of patriotism towards our military. Most people now have, you know, a a respect for it. Mm -hmm. So when you come in or a military missionary uh, comes into a church, 
does the church get on board with it? I mean, typically, or is this something that seems so different than the norm of missions that it's kind of in the too hard to compute box for people? Well, it is a unique ministry strategy and um, and missionary outreach. But I find, as a matter of fact, every church I've been in for the last two years I've been in this position, there has been at least one serviceman, whether they're a veteran or active duty, that's in the church. And I usually try to connect with them because that brings out that spirit of patriotism. And the church understands. Oftentimes, they're not even aware that there's a need for this type of ministry, but they do uh, embrace it and get behind it. I have my mailing list. I get emails all the time now from folks that I met in churches that have served, and they're excited about different aspects of military ministry and wanting to be updated. So it's it's exciting for me to be in this position. And and the folks that are trying to raise the support, right. Do they have to have a military background to be a military missionary? Not necessarily. I would say, and this is just a rough estimate, I would say 75% of our men that are currently serving as military pastors, missionaries, uh, have a military background. Not all of them have retired. Some of them have. Uh, Others are young men that were raised in military families. Their father or their mom was in service, and they continue on. But then we do have a few that do not have a military background. They just have a burden. And that should never hinder someone from saying, I'd like to be used in this area. Because if you have a heart for ministry, you have a heart for souls, and you have a spirit of patriotism, you'd like to minister to our soldiers and and, and airmen, and and, um, there's an opportunity there for you to do that. Wow. Well, what a great, great ministry this is. And uh, so many things that people would probably, like you said, not ever think about in a local church. Uh, I think a lot of people probably just think, well, there's chaplains and so the military's all set. What an amazing opportunity for ministry and for uh, missionaries to, you know, connect with people uh, and uh, to uh, carry out the Great Commission in such a unique way. If, if somebody's listening to this and wants to know more about military missions and uh, how they get involved, whether that is going themselves or just supporting maybe, uh, is there opportunity for people to just support a missionary? Not, I'm not talking finances now. How would they do that on the field and go about maybe helping a, a guy who's out there ministering to our military? Well, first and foremost, and I know this could go without saying, is just now that you're aware of the ministry, you can pray for it. Mm-hmm. If you would like to, to visit one of those fields, uh, something I've been doing for the last several months is as I go into churches, especially near military bases, a lot of folks that retire from the military go back to work as a contractor or civilian worker there on the base doing mm-hmm. the same job, I they have a unique opportunity in that they could transfer to a base overseas and attend one of our military churches and become mm-hmm. another stabilizing force mm-hmm. in that wow. church. And we have several folks that are engaged with me right now that are talking about that possibility. As a matter of fact, there's a man in Baumholder, Germany, that if it were not for him as a contractor in Baumholder, uh, Grace Baptist Church would have closed last year. Mm-hmm. But he and his wife said, hey, we came to help a church, not close a church. Now we've been able to step in and provide a missionary for them or help a missionary get to them. And Grace Baptist Church is still there because of that contractor and his wife who made that decision. Uh, There are opportunities to give. We have a military fund here at BIMI. 
It's account 642. That fund is used to get missionaries to the field. Um, it helps as we try to make these trips to go over and visit these works and be an encouragement to them. And so there's a lot of opportunities you can get involved. Great. Well, I appreciate you joining with us. Sure. This is a great exposure of military missions. And I just want to say that if anyone has any questions um, or want more information regarding it, they can contact Brian. Brian is more than willing to communicate with anyone. Right. And uh, his email is going to be there in the show notes. So if you just mm-hmm. kind of click there, you'll see his his email address as well as that of myself or of Tony's. So please reach out and just let him know you're praying for him. Encourage him with what he's doing. I'll just say this, that Brian is also in the uh, unique situation of not only trying to raise awareness of military missions, but also trying to raise support as he is the director. And as he said, he's only been in this two years, so he is trying to also raise personal support. So maybe somebody would want to have him in to their church. Uh, Reach out here to BIMI. We would love to make a connection with you and with Brian Baggett, our military director. Yeah. So thanks, Brian, so much for spending this time with us. Really very informative to me. And I thought I knew some things about military missions, but I I learned a lot this morning as well. And um, like you said, certainly need to be praying for those guys who are over there on the front lines with those who serve on the front lines on our behalf so we can have freedom. And uh, so thank you for what you do and uh, for our military missionaries around the world. If this podcast has been helpful to you, I want to encourage you to share that with somebody else. As Stephen mentioned, you can check the show notes for our contact information. Check out BIMI.org, the media page. And you will also find there a military page as well. And you can get more information there. Until next time, have a great week and the Lord bless you through this week.